Amen. Lord is good, isn't he? Thank you, Pastor Rip, for leading us into prayer. Thank you, Jackie and Tom, for leading us in worship and doing just a wonderful job of just preparing our hearts for the word and for what he has in store for us today. So we are continuing our message, our series on the parables of Jesus. And as we continue to study this, I really believe that we're going to find God's wisdom and his truths unraveled, unraveled in our hearts and lives. That he's going to bring revelation knowledge to you and to me as only the way the Holy Spirit can. And you know what's amazing about the Bible? Is that not that it was, you know, we could go through all the facts and figures of it all and, and all, the, all that. But I think what's the most amazing thing about it is that as it was inspired to be written thousands of years ago by the many authors of the Bible, it's just as inspired today to be read. The same Holy Spirit that inspired those writers to write will inspire your heart when you read it. And it'll bring it alive in a new fashion, in a new way to you as you take the time as they took the time to write it and the scribes to copy it perfectly, as they took the time and as you take the time to read what they wrote through the power of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit will reveal to you revelation knowledge that only he can that will bring life into your life. That's kind of what Pastor Rip said about having that branded, that that special passage or scripture that's branded on your heart as a young Christian. And I think the call to the church today is we all need to come back to our first love. Amen? You need to go back to when you were first a hungry Christian and you were first saved and you were so hungry for the word of God, you couldn't get enough of it. And unfortunately, as the older we get, for some odd reason, that wanes in our life. And, and we lose the hunger for the word of God. So my encouragement is to ask the Holy Spirit to rekindle that first love. That burning love in your heart. Amen. And I think that's kind of what the parables are doing for me. As I read through the parables, I'm learning more and more things about how God uses the things of life only the way he can to bring life, abundant life, eternal life, into my life, and he'll bring it into your life as you studied as well. I don't know why I'm so amazed at things like this, but, you know, God has just a perfect way of saying things. (laughs) I mean, why should we be amazed at the way that Jesus and God speaks to us when he is the creator of communication? (laughs) I mean, nobody communicates better than God. But yet I'm amazed at it sometimes and how, he well, how well he writes the scriptures and how well Jesus said the things that he said perfectly in a way that the readers or the hearers of that day and the readers of today really, really needed to hear that. Have you ever opened the Bible or read something or even a devotional or something and it just read your mail? It was like they just wrote, wrote that for you on that specific day. Isn't it amazing how that happens? Well, that's because we have a God that loves us. He always knows the exact right thing to say at the right time. 
So in this parable today we're speaking of, we're talking about the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast. They go together. And there's many things we're going to learn out of this. And one of the first things that I see in it, and I don't know if this is the biggest thing in it or not, but it's something that just popped up right at me real at the beginning. And I just want to start it right now. And I want to say this to all of us, that I think this parable in a way says it's okay to be you. It's okay to be you. Sometimes we find ourselves in life comparing ourselves to other people or the other situations. And for that reason, we find ourselves to be always insignificant. We find ourselves to be wanting. We, feel, we find ourselves not to be good enough, that we're too small in number, maybe as a church, or we're not mature as we should be, or as mature as the guy sitting next to me at church, or we don't know as much as somebody else does about the Bible, or we don't have as much money as somebody does, or we don't speak or pray as well as other people pray and speak publicly. We don't have an outgoing personality that somebody else has. And we find all these ways of comparison, and when we do that, typically we find ourselves being insignificant. And therefore, we find ourselves being discouraged. I think the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast speaks to that in, an un, in a roundabout way. Because it says that it's okay to be small and know that God still is in control. That he is still the one that is in charge of the growth season in your life. And what would seemingly be insignificant to you may be very significant to him. So I ask that we would just allow the Holy Spirit to open our ears and our eyes today to hear what he has to say when it comes to the small things in our life that really can truly be the significant things if we'll just allow them to be. So with that said, Luke chapter 13, verse 18 through 21 is our text. You can open your Bible or you can read it on the screen. It says, Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like the yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And this is one of those parables, Lord, that Jesus, you don't give an explanation to. You don't sit down and talk to the disciples as to what this means. So we're just asking the Holy Spirit to give us that understanding. Help us to discern it wisely and well. And according to your word, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think one of the things here we see is that God uses small things. And he starts at the beginning of life in a small way. And I think the other thing that we need to recognize, and we talked about this a week ago or so, and I think that God wants to start in our life, but as we've been kind of, it's kind of been kind of the theme of our service today, that we need to be in cooperation with the Spirit. If we're going to climb up to the mountain of the Lord, we need to be the climber. We need to be the one working, right? We need to do some things. So again, I think that the parables are written for people 
that are hungry for God. Right? They're not written for those that are just a take it or leave it type of a crowd. They're those, they're written for those that are truly seeking what, God, what do you have in store for me today? And so once again, the question I have to ask is what kind of people are we? Are you a person that are, is spiritually hungry and truly wanting to have the Lord settle in your heart and really to reveal his truths? Or are you a person that is simply a professing Christian coming in to check the box that I went to church on Sunday, so therefore I'm good for the week? And I know sometimes it can be difficult, and I'm not trying to put a heavy burden on people. Sometimes we come in and we're just overwhelmed with life. I get it, and sometimes it's good just to get here. I get it. But I'm talking about the overall theme of our life. Is our overall theme a theme of hunger and desiring of God? That's what the parables are written for. And that's the encouragement that I have as a pastor and as a a person that stands before you every week is I pray that what we're doing is that we're creating a hunger and a thirst in your life for more of God. So it's an important question that we need to take some inventory of our own life. So I want to just ask you that question as we go into this parable, what, what am I? And if I'm struggling in this area, just ask the Holy Spirit to give me some strength. Give me a hunger, Father, as we study today. So these two parables, they, they go together. There's the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast. They, they, they work together. And so we're going we're gonna to find out here what's going on. There's a double meaning between both of them most of the time in this. One meaning is, is speaking of the growth and the influences of God's kingdom. In other words, God starts small and grows, right? That's, that's one spiritual growth indicator here. The other meaning here is on a is more on a, on, a, on a negative side, and that is that this parable also describes how evil also grows, starts small, and grows in your life if we're not careful. So we need to be careful what we're allowing into our life, and we need to be diligent in this. This can be said also that living a Christ-like life may seem small and insignificant in our view, but understand that God measures on a scale that we don't understand. He measures on an eternal, godly scale. We measure on a physical, earthly scale. We measure on things that we can see. God measures on things that we cannot see, for the most part. And it also is a warning against for us that we don't allow the earthly things to compromise our spiritual walk. So these parables have a, a spiritual positive growth meaning and they also have a warning for negative growth or negative a relapse, if you will, into our life. So we, we're looking at both of this as we look through these parables. So let's look at the mustard seed first. He says in Luke 18, he says, Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. All right, first thing is, this mustard seed is not the mustard seed that we get our mustard to put on our hot dog. <laughs> okay, it's a different kind of a plant. <laughs> I don't, we don't have to get into the details of what kind of plant it is, other than, other than the fact that it was a, a plant that was common in the days of Jesus speaking, in the days of Israel, and it was something that was beneficial to put in the garden. Because why would a gardener plant it if it wasn't beneficial to put in the garden? 
Again, I, it doesn't go into detail, and I'm not going to worry about the detail of what it was beneficial for. All I'm saying is that it was a small seed, and it was a very insignificant seed, but yet it grew into one of the largest plants in the garden, almost like a tree. That it was big enough that um, a, 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 a bird could land in its branches and make a nest in it. And they say this tree could, this, could grow up to be about 15 feet tall which is almost, you know, almost to the ceiling here. So it's a, a pretty good size plant. From this small seed, and, and I think the book of Matthew says the smallest of the seeds, the small seed comes one of the largest plants in the garden. So what's so significant about that? What can we get from that topic or from that statement? Well, a couple things that are obvious that I think that, that can be said is that big things grow from small beginnings. Big things come from small packages. And it usually requires slow growth. And I think the, the speed of the growth, I think, is very significant to talk about. Because something that grows fast typically doesn't have strength associated with it. But slow growth allows time to strengthen the plant, let the root go deeper in the ground, have more stability in the end. And I think we can maybe even say it this way, that slow growth is like saying, easy come, easy go. Right? I mean, if something comes too quickly to me, or if it comes too easily to me, then it may slip through my fingers just as quickly because I may not value it very much. Easy come, easy go. You know what that means? Do you know what that, have you experienced that in your life at all? Yeah. So sometimes the things you work for, the things that take time to develop, tend to have a little bit more value. In fact, I think we could say that anything of significant value, anything of significant value requires time, investment, and effort. Not only to develop, but also to maintain. It takes effort to build something that has lasting value. And it also takes effort to maintain something that has lasting value. So I think it's something that we we need to recognize that in our life, no matter where we're at right now, we may seem very small and very insignificant, and that's okay because God is on, in, on the job doing some other things in your life that you may not be aware of as he's slowly building you into a person of character, not necessarily quickly. Many times in that process, we focus, though, on the wrong things because we're focusing on the smallness of what we're doing in the moment where God is focusing on the process of what he's building in the moment. We're focusing on how insignificant we are and how lacking we are, and God is focusing on how he's changing us from the inside out. God's process is often hidden to us. And we get discouraged sometimes because we we compare ourselves to the bigger seeds in the garden, if you will. We compare ourselves to the more mature or to the more successful or to the more outgoing or whatever. And God is saying, I believe, he's saying, stop it. Don't do that. 
That's not what you, I want you to be. If I wanted you to be that, I would have made you that. I want you to be comfortable in being you, who you are, and who you are in the kingdom, because who you are in the kingdom is very important. Otherwise, I wouldn't create you that way. So just stop comparing. Stop trying to be something that you're not. Just be comfortable who you are, and let's grow together. Does that make sense? Can you see God speaking that way in your life today? Does that spring some revelation knowledge or a sense of encouragement to you? Amen. I think we all see the benefit of slow growth and steady growth that in the end is sustainable. I think we all want to be a part of something that lasts. I don't want to be a part of, a, of an organization. I don't want to be part of a of a group, I don't, want to, I don't want to have my life associated with anything that is a fast burn, fast burn out. <laughs> I, I want to have a lasting effort. I want to have a lasting effect. I want to have a legacy, if you will, that is built upon something that is worth living for. So slow growth is an important thing. And I think it's something that we need to cherish. Don't get upset if you're not growing fast enough. As long as you're making forward motion, forward progress, you're doing great. You may take a step back, backwards every once in a while. Well, that's okay too. But as long as the overall forward motion is good, then you're doing well. And I think that's an encouragement for all of us today. Another obvious observation I think that we need to emphasize here is it's not how one starts that counts, yet it's how, but yet it's how one finishes. And I think that we all can recognize from this perspective that we've all made mistakes. None of us have a perfect past. None of us can walk into life thinking that I'm perfect, I've made no sin, I've done no wrongs. No, I think we all come to a point in time where we have regrets. And I think we could stop right now and look backwards, you know, maybe a few days, weeks, years, I don't know how long for you, where you think, boy, I'm not too proud of what I just did there. Not too proud of what I just said there. And for some of us, that's yesterday. Um, but the, rea- the, the reality of that all is that it's not what happened yesterday. It's what are you doing about it today? Are you trying to cover what you did up yesterday? Or are you trying to expose it to the Holy Spirit and ask repentance over it? Forgiveness and repentance are something that happens, should happen, every day in the life of a believer. And I'm not saying that we can't live above a life above sin. I can't, I'm not saying that we can't, but I'm saying that most of the time we don't. <laughs> In other words, if I, if I made a mistake yesterday and I'm claiming to be a follower of Christ today and a pastor or a teacher or a husband or a wife or whatever, we need to know that it's okay. In fact, I need to not just know it's okay. I need to take accountability for what I did that wasn't pleasing yesterday. And how do I do that? I do that through a daily prayer time with the Lord of asking him to forgive me again and again and again and knowing that he lifts me up again and again and again. And here's the thing I want to be careful about. I'm not saying that what I did yesterday is going to be something that I'm going to repeat today intentionally. I'm not saying that's a deliberate intentional sin. I'm saying that we make mistakes every day. And as long as I live in an attitude of repentance And saying, God, I'm sorry, my overall intent, Lord, is to live perfectly before you. And even though I know I can't, it's my heart. That is positive growth. And that is positive progress. 
So it's not how one starts, it's how one finishes that makes the difference. And I think also we don't all we don't we don't appreciate the significance that we've had in somebody's life in the past. Let me go down a positive note here. Not everything we've done in the past was negative. Maybe you did something in the past that was very positive and you didn't really understand it. Let me give you an example. Um, Virginia Bradley, Sister Bradley, is the, the wife of Pastor Bradley. And uh, he is actually the brother, Paul Bradley and Bob Bradley were brothers. And Paul pa- pastors at uh, Freedom House. And um, Chris and I sat under Pastor Bradley and Sister B's ministry when we were first married, as we got, you know, graduated from college and went to Detroit, got a job down there. We lived in Royal Oak. We went to Ferndale Assembly. And we were there for five, six years, something like that. It was a, a few years. But I will say that that was probably a very important time of our life where that was a time where we as a family got grounded in the Lord. Yes, I had been a Christian. I had been filled with the Holy Spirit and had great experiences as a child, as a young person. I made a lot of mistakes in between. Chris and I got married. I think that was where we really solidified our family under Ferndale Assembly. And the reason I say that is because I still keep touch with Sister B. Pastor Bradley's passed away a few years ago, but Sister B lives in Grayling. And, and I just talked to her this week, actually. And she is one of those people that is a prayer warrior. She said, don't call me in the morning um, because I'm sleeping. She, she goes, don't call me in the morning because that's my prayer time. So she spends the first few hours of her morning in prayer. And she prays diligently for us. And for Paul and for other ministries and things. And, and I was talking to her this week and um, she was just encouraging me with some things. And, and I said, you know, Sister B, I r- really want to thank you for being our spiritual mother. Because in really, I think that's what you are. Because to Chris and I both, you are really our first spiritual mom. And, you know, we were texting this back and forth. And she replied and she goes, thank you so much for telling me that. Thank you. Because I needed to be encouraged today. So the fact that I would go back and show her the significance of her ministry. She goes, because so many times we wonder if our ministry was significant. So many times we wonder, did we make a difference in anybody's life? And to go back and say thank you to her, that was just, that brightened her day. And I think that's so many times what happens to us. How many times, we have no idea, quite honestly, who you are impacting today. Or who have you, you have impacted yesterday on a positive behalf. And most of the time, you're not going to know. Most of the time, they're never going to call you up and say thank you. Just so you know, God's keeping great records. And when, 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 when you get to heaven, there's going to be many, many years and time that goes of that time where people can come back and say, thank you for being that Sunday school teacher. Thank you for being that person that encouraged me in that period of time. You encouraged me more than what you know. I'm in heaven today because of the things you did. I mean, those messages are going to come to all of us as you're faithful to the Lord. So, it's not how you start, it's how you finish, but sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes it's good that we don't know that. <laughs> but it's all good to we know that God is in charge of all of that. So let's look at some of the other significant things we can get out of this parable. Because the plant had grown so tall and strong, it could support the weight of the birds and even their nesting in, their, in its branches. So what does that mean? 
Well, the birds in this parable could be meant for ungodly followers. The birds are not always good things. As we, Jesus spoke in parables, and they had different meanings for different things. The birds that, that, that were, that were um, nesting in this plant's branches um, could be really talked about false teachers, false prophets, false believers. And the interesting thing about that is that organizations, godly organizations, attract all kinds of people. <laughs> you get some, <laughs> Pastor Rip knows, you get some weird weirdos coming into church sometimes. Not here. Nobody's a weirdo here. I'm telling you that right now. But it happens some places. <laughs> and typically, the bigger the organization, the easier it is to hide in it and to infiltrate it even with an intent to bring harm to it. You know what I'm talking about? Now, we're a small church. It's hard to hide here. But a big church, you, you know, they have multiple services. Boy, it's easy to hide in a big church. And I'm not saying anything bad about a big church. I think it's awesome that you would have to have multiple services. But I think what it does, it puts more responsibility on the members of a big church to be more accountable to themselves because in a big church, it's very easy to come in and hide. Sit in the pew and do nothing, but yet appear to be doing great things, Right? Um, so it's easy to do that. In a smaller crowd like this, it's harder to be overlooked. It's harder to be missed. Also in a bigger church, that gives an opportunity for false teachers to get in and spin false tales. I mean, it's, you get little pockets of, of, um, of, of clicks. Well, I haven't heard that word in a long time. But, um, you know, you get clicks going on and you get people to hear that are are talking about people over there and talking about people over there and all of a sudden you get dissension in the body. It happens easily. The bigger the body, the more opportunity it is for the enemy to get in and mess it up, right? So this plant could grow big enough to allow the birds of the air to settle into its branches. And what this is saying, similar to the parable we talked about last week about um, where the bad weeds were going with the wheat. The fact of the matter is God is going to allow us to live amongst the weeds. And we have to have a responsibility, whether you're a big church or a small church, you have to take accountability to make sure that you're not being impacted by the weeds that may be impacting the church or your life. That you need to be diligent and be discerning about what you're allowing into your life. And those are going to grow together. We're not being taken out of the world prematurely. We will be taken out at the rapture where the world, the, Jesus is going to come back for his church. Thank the Lord. And that's soon, I believe. And then the church will be raptured out of this place. But until then, recognize that you're planted where you're planted. And there's somebody going to be planted next to you that may not be what they should be. But you be who you are, no matter what's happening next door. That's what we need to get out of that. Paul also saw this happening even more so to Timothy. That's what he gave Timothy, this encouragement. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Paul gave this encouragement to Timothy. When I left for Macedonia, Paul left, I urged you, Timothy, to stay there in Ephesus and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations which don't help people live a life of faith in God. So Paul saw this and he was giving Timothy some good instruction and some good warning. 
Uh, my Bible commentary said this. This is very interesting. Paul said, he instructed Timothy that he must not compromise with the false teachings that were corrupting the gospel message of forgiveness and a personal relationship with Jesus through faithful obedience. Okay? That he must, Timothy must faithfully fight against them by proclaiming the true and the original message of faith as taught by Christ and his disciples. So Paul understood that the birds of the air were going to make nests in the branches of the tree of the church and that we needed to be aware of that. And so he told Timothy how to preach against it and how to teach against it. But Paul didn't stop there because Paul prophetically knew where we were going to be 2,000 years later. And 2,000 years later, we're in a much different place than they were then. And this is what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy, but really this is talking to us right now. So Paul is really talking to the church today. He says this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 1. He says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. He's given it to Timothy, but I think he's given it to me. And I think he's given it to you. And I think you all have this charge. And this is what Paul is saying. This is what Jesus is saying to us. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience. There's that word we don't like. With great patience and careful instruction. So we're to preach the word. Now, what does that mean? Well, you say, well, I'm not a preacher. Your life is the word. All all word, All that people see most of the time of the word of God in the world is your life. And if you're a professing Christian, then you are preaching with your life, right? So be careful. He goes on to say in verse 3, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, he's talking to our church now, he's talking about us today, but you... Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist and discharge all the duties of your ministry. Man, could that be any more relevant? He's talking about the Bible being alive. That Paul knew what it was going to be like in the end days and exactly what was going to be happening. And isn't this happening today all around us? Yeah. So Paul is describing that the birds that nest in the tree will want to hear a message that will keep them happy in their nest. (laughs) They don't want to be pushed out of the nest because they're happy in that tree nested and they don't want to hear a message of truth because they don't want to be pushed out of their nest. We're instructed not to compromise the truth of God's word in order to keep a bird happy. Amen? We're instructed not to compromise the word of God in order to keep a bird happy that's nesting in your branches. If he doesn't like the word, then he can get out or he can change. But it's not our job to make him happy just to keep him in a nest. But we do it in love. We don't do it because we're angry. We do it because we love him enough to want them to know the truth. Amen? All right, so let's talk about the yeast. Luke chapter 13, verse 20. Again, he asked, 
What shall I compare the kingdom to God of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds or a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now, how many here have made bread? Yeah, I've made bread. Gilbert, you've never made bread? No, I got it from the store. Oh, got it from the store. <laughs> Maybe Kathy can help you with that. <laughs> Just, so this may sound a strange analogy to those non-bread makers here, right? Or to those people. But the people of the day understood yeast. They understood what it meant. This parable also has a dual meaning or a hidden meaning here because yeast is something that can have a good property or a bad property depending how we think about it right a positive aspect of a of of a of healthy yeast is that it indicates good spiritual growth right the negative aspect is that it's the way the enemy can subtly slip in and infiltrate a batch of dough right and bring bad things out of it so from the aspect of spiritual growth here this is applied to the life of an individual believer and into the church overall if actually and that this is similar to the mustard seed and that it just takes a very small amount to do great things. Both the yeast and the mustard seed are very small. In fact, a, a grain of yeast, if you call it a grain, is really very small. And, and it doesn't have much insignificance in its own right. But you put it inside bread dough and you put it in the right conditions and it ferments. And it creates gas bubbles. And it grows and it, and, and it raises the bread so that the bread isn't just a piece of cardboard. It's a nice, soft piece of bread with a crusty outside cover. Are you getting hungry yet? Um, all right, I'll stop talking about food. But the point is, is that yeast in a positive way is the way God works. God typically works from the inside out. God works inside of you before he works outside of you. He works in our hearts first, in the areas that are unseen to the world and maybe even to yourself. God knows our hearts better than we know our hearts. And that's where he works. And then as he is doing his work, it ultimately becomes obvious to others as he continues to do the work. And that's the significant thing about the Holy Spirit because I can't see your heart. I have no idea what's going on in your heart. You may look very good from the outside and, and I would have no idea if that's true or not. But the Holy Spirit knows. God knows exactly what's going on in your heart. He knows exactly what's going on in your heart today and he wants to speak to you right where you're at because he knows the condition of your heart, and it's always with the goal to bring you closer to Jesus. I want you to know that. He wants to increase your spiritual appetite. That's the role of the Holy Spirit, is to come inside of you and to make you hungry for the things of God. So that yeast, as it's mixed into the dough, it's unseen by the eye, but yet it has a powerful reaction to the bread. And that's the way the power of God works. It's unseen to our naked eye, but yet as we allow it to ferment or to grow into our life, God blows us up in his timing, in his way, in the way that he wants us to be seen by the world as we allow him to do that. That's the signs and wonders 
that God will do in our lives if we allow him to. If we are willing vessels, he will grow inside of us and blow us up from the inside out in a good way. Yet yeast also represents the subtleness of evil. There's the other aspect of understanding this is that in the Old Testament, yeast was uh, representative of, of the presence of evil or impurity. And you can go through many scriptures that we don't have time to dig into in the Old Testament that talked about how yeast was considered evil. Or when you have leavened bread versus unleavened bread. And, and we were to keep the yeast out of our lives, right? And Paul had an example of this in the church where um, I think it's important in the New Testament. And so I want to read a couple passages here that um, may be difficult, but I think we need to understand it. We need to know the context so we know the context of how evil works from the inside out as well and how it can infiltrate the body as a believer of churches or even our own personal body. So turn in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and um, we're going to read uh, the first couple of verses that kind of give the, the, the context of what Paul's going to talk about. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the first two verses, he says, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you, something that even pagans don't do. I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with a stepmother. And you are so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame, and you should remove this man from your fellowship. This is hard word, guys. This is talking about church discipline, something we don't talk about very often in the church. Let me continue on with what Paul has to say about this. Skip down to verse 6, six through 8. Paul says, your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. So we're not dealing with this particular sin of sexual sin of what this was happening in the, in the church. But yet, sin is sin, right? So we have to recognize that sin needs to be dealt with. And I know that we don't often talk about church discipline, where we actually will expel a brother or a sister from the body because they are, they're just not caught in sin, but they live in sin. It is a lifestyle of theirs to live in sin. And so there is a time, there is a place where if a person is not willing to change, they, if we don't deal with it, then they become like a yeast that works through the whole batch of dough in the church and can cause lots of problems. Thankfully, we're not dealing with that today here in our church. But the point is, it's a principle that we still need to understand. It's a principle we still need to be aware of. What we need to be aware of here, where we need to be careful with this, is that we need to be careful that we don't accept casual sin as something that we allow in our life because we don't want to discipline it. Because casual sin, as much as intentional sin, can be a yeast that will infiltrate your life. And as it ferments in your life, your life can't help but blow up because you've got something rotting inside of you. That's what fermenting is. The fermenting process is a rotting process. 
And that's what sin does. If we allow it to stay in our life, if we're casual about sin, then it will blow us up from the inside out. So we have to be careful. Therefore, we, we can't tolerate or compromise with sin of any kind. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to sin. But what that means is when you recognize the sin, deal with it. Don't justify it. You have to get rid of it. You have to ask, you have to take accountability for it. You have to repent of it. And sin, like everything else, starts out small. I, I don't think the devil's going to come to you to ask you to shoot anybody if you hadn't had thoughts about doing that already in your life. I mean, I mean, he's going to start in smaller areas. He's going to work his way up to the big sins. That might have been a bad example, so forget that one. But I want you to make, think, about, think about the small things, okay? That's the things that are infiltrating into your life. Just as God uses small things for good, the devil uses small things for bad. The devil imitates God in every way he can. This is the common tool of the enemy to begin small and unseen, something that is easy to justify and deal with, but as soon as it begins to grow, it gets bigger and bigger and it blows up out of control in your life. Once again, my commentary says, for this reasons, many understand this parable to teach how evil, false doctrine, and spiritual impurity exist and spread throughout all areas of God's work, deceiving many people. That's his job. In the end times, which are the days that we're living in today, we are living in the end times. Before Christ returns for the church, these inf evil influences work their way into much of God's work in Christian churches, denominations, colleges, and seminaries until the truth of God's word is diluted and corrupted on a massive scale. But it starts small. And before long, a whole organization's in the weeds. And we've seen it. We've seen it already with the transgendering and all the gender issues and how some churches are accepting it as okay. It's not okay. Sin is sin. And we need to be careful that we don't let it invade our lives to, so we keep the birds happy in our branches. So how do we protect ourselves against the evils that would want to permeate our lives? Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked off for us. And here's the key, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, right? Fix our eyes on Christ. Don't fix your eyes on the world, and you won't follow the world. But if you're fixing your eyes on Christ, then that's going to be your direction. I love what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis says that if you are to set your eyes on heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. But if you keep your eyes on earth, you'll get neither. Focus on heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. But focus on earth and you get neither. There's so, there's so much of a profound thought in that right there and a meaning in that. So we are to reject the temptations and the evil influences of the world. Titus tells us to do this in Titus chapter 2, 11 through 15. He says, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed, here, here it is, we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our God, our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. 
Verse 14, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. You must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have the authority to correct them when necessary. So don't let anyone disregard what you say. Boy, there's great power in the word, isn't there? It's not my idea. I'm just reading the word. It gives me the authority to say the things that God wants me to say. And there's so many other verses in the Bible that we could reference. But I just want to encourage you today as we end this message to know that Jesus is for us and not against us. That greater is he that is within you. Jackie, would you come please? We're bought with the precious blood of Jesus. And as a result, we're not our own anymore. I like it what Paul said in Romans. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 14. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. You do have an obligation, but this is what your obligation is. It is not to the flesh. It is not to live according to the flesh. Verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put the death of the deeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. I love that that we are to determine in our life to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit to the very best of our ability with no giving in to the evil one, to no giving in, no compromise with, with the yeast of evil. Galatians five sixteen and 17. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. Verse 24 and 25, For those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and the desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Do you see the significance of that? You've nailed them to the cross. There's some finality there. You didn't just lay them down so that you could pick them up again. No, you nailed your passions, your earthly desires. You nailed it to the cross. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. I like that part. Because just as Julia said earlier about the challenge of giving all of our options to God, that's exactly what's happening here. That since we're living by the Spirit, we're following the Spirit's leading in every option of our life. That we're sold up, sold in, giving up to God. We're not having any, we're not keeping our own agendas anymore. That's how you keep the birds from nesting in your branches. That's how you keep the bad yeast from fermenting. So let me just encourage you today. I don't know where you're at spiritually, especially for those that may be watching online. But I just want you to know that you may not be the person you want to be right now, but that's okay. You can change. You can change. And my encouragement is to do everything you can to increase the hunger for God, that you would desire it, that you would ask for it, that you would avoid the obvious distractions of the enemy that you know are taking you away from God that are taken away from the things of, him, of, of, of godliness, that you would invite the Holy Spirit in your lives. Listen, it starts with an invitation. 
It starts with an invitation. And then it takes a patience to allow the Holy Spirit to work. So this morning, I want to just ask the question, what kind of a person are we? Where are we at with our spiritual walk? Have you invited the Holy Spirit into your life? Close your eyes with me, if you will. And I want to just let this time be a a time of meditation, a time of settling in. And just ask the question of your life. Where am I at? Am I inviting the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life to change me? Or am I doing everything I can to avoid him? Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I invite you to examine my heart today. As I invite you to examine the heart of this church today. Father, help us to know what you would have us to know. About what you think of us. And if there's any way in me, God, that's not pleasing in, my, in your sight, I pray that you would bring it to my attention that you would bring it to the attention of this church, that we could change. And that we could make the changes as, as that are necessary. God, we truly want to be a stabilizing force in the community that we're living in. We want to be, Father, something that can be, that can be trusted in, that can sustain the problems of life because there are so many issues in our hearts and lives. There are so many issues in the lives of people. God, we want to be that place. We want to be that place of refuge. So, Father, we pray that you would just strengthen us. Convict us, Holy Spirit. Help us to accept that conviction as an invitation to godliness and to be in right standing with you. Protect us, I pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand with me, if you will. Let's let's sing with the worship team.
Father, there is so much truth in that little song right there. God, that we wouldn't rush through life or seasons like this right now just to get on with the day. But we would really ask you, Father, to relight our fire, to rekindle that first love. Lord, that we would know that you are for us, not against us, that we would know the enemy's work is out there to deceive and distract and destroy. But you are to build us up and encourage us. And so, Father, as we're in this place right now of just reflection, God, I pray that our hearts would be tuned towards you. And if we need to make a change, if we need to ask for forgiveness or repentance, that we would allow the Holy Spirit to bring that conviction to our hearts and lives today. So wherever you're at today, if if you have to do that, I encourage you to do that. Don't miss this opportunity. Go with us, Father, as we go to our homes today, as we go back into our life. God, I pray that you would strengthen us as we're living amongst the world. Encourage us, Father, to be strong in the midst of all the other things in life that would be there to distract. That we would see you as our provider, our sustenance. We live for you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be blessed. Be blessed. Have a great day today.